Well, good evening. It is good to see you all out on this evening. It is one of those things where once we cross through the shortest day of the year, I appreciate every day a little bit more. <laughs> it gets a little earlier, stays a little bit lighter, longer. I don't mind cold, I don't mind snow, but I like the sun. I like it to be bright outside. Uh, so that's, we're actually going to miss that, I think, the rest of this week, but uh, we're very thankful for the longer days nonetheless. Take your Bibles, if you will, as we turn to Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, as we will continue in what we started this morning, a, a message topic that we started actually last week, and last week we started with this idea of what do we need to hear. Today we're going to continue in how we hear that, how do we hear the message we need to hear. Last week we looked into the authority of the Word of God and why we are to be listening to the Word of God. There's a lot of sound out there. There's a lot of those who think that they have the right answers. There are countless books. Scripture says that there will be no end to the writing of books, and you can certainly see that in our world today where countless books have been written. There have been countless resources provided. Some of them are great, but none of them have the authority of what you hold in your hands tonight in the Word of God, whether that is on your cell phone or your other smart devices, your iPad, your tablets, or whatever, or uh, the printed copy of the Word of God, let us be those who treasure this, because this is the authoritative Word of God, and we should spend time here. Now, how do we listen to it? That's what we spent time on this morning, and we're going to pick up with that same idea as we see the title of use it or lose it. Sometimes we treat the Christian life like the old adage. It's like riding a bike. Once you learn it, you never forget. But that is not true in the Christian life. That's not true in the Christian journey. In fact, you can lose not your salvation, but your maturity level. You can regress. We're going to see that spelled out for us in the book of Hebrews, and then we're going to end tonight, Lord willing, back in the book of James where we will finish what we started. But let me ask you this question. Let's say you have an important job interview. You have desired this position. You want the position that's being offered. And you have an interview, and you're going to go in and you're going to meet with whoever is doing the hiring for this specific company. Now, thinking to yourself, how would you make ready for this? One, you'd probably freshen up on maybe some technology that's advanced since the last time you had a job similar to this. Now, that would certainly be a wise thing to do today as technology has advanced. You may think through the process of how you're going to respond to anticipated questions. You may think through some of those anticipated questions. There was one interviewer who would watch. He had a glass window that faced the street, and he would watch as interviewees would come. And he would intentionally set them up. He would set a piece of trash or something on the sidewalk for them to pick up. And if they failed to pick up the trash on the way in, he would give them a very short interview and not hire them. But if they picked up the trash, he considered them to be considerate and conscientious of the world around them and likely good employees and would give them an extended interview. Now let's... We think about this in the situation of an anticipated uh, job interview, but let us think through it in the sense of, well, let's say you had tickets for tomorrow's football game. How would you prepare for that? You may not have tickets for that, but you're already preparing for that event, right? You're thinking through food. You're making sure that it's on a channel that you actually get, uh, that's a new thing today. <laughs> As you begin to recognize all the streaming services, you're like, who's carrying the game tonight? So you're, you're anticipating. You may have uh, your grungy sweatshirt that's still in the laundry that you have plans to get it out and washed and ready unless you believe that it has to stay grungy for the game. Nonetheless, either way, you're going to prepare, right? You're going to prepare even for something like an anticipated sports event. Now, I do not mean to sound trite, but we need to be reminded that every Sunday morning and every Sunday evening, we have an appointment to keep. And you meet with 
the divine collectively as a body of believers. You meet with a fellowship, certainly, and we enjoy the time that as a fellowship we can gather together and sharpen one another, but you are not here for a fraternity or sorority. You are here to together worship your Creator God. And so how do you prepare for these moments? Perhaps in all of human history, there has never been a greater need for instruction on hearing God's Word as we experience in our culture today. With all of the noise and all of the distractions and all of the technology that's waiting there to distract, we need to hear God's Word out of all of that sound. I'm reminded of Moses when he wants to hear the voice of the Lord and he wants to see the Lord and the Lord speaks to him in the still, small voice. That is not exactly where we're going today, but it does help us to set our attitudes in the right way as we begin to understand either we're going to use the Christian faith, we're going to use the time spent in the Word of God, or we're going to lose our maturity. We're not losing our salvation, that's not the question. It's the growth. How far have we grown in Christ? That's what we're going to study uh, tonight, Lord willing, uh, together. And so let us begin this evening as we go before our Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we bow before you as a people who are listening to the noises, the distractions that exist around us. And it's so easy. We can't seem to even get through a single conversation with a person we're talking to face-to-face without checking our cell phones for the latest text message or email that has come through. Lord, every app wants to uh, ping our phones to tell us that they have an update for us. And every person we talk to wants our, a little bit of our time We recognize the preciousness of that commodity of time. So Lord, tonight we want to be those who dig deeply into what is important, what is the most important. So we ask that you would teach us how to listen. Teach us how to listen better. We thank you for the time we could spend in James this morning and in 1 Thessalonians and really beginning to understand how to listen and why it is important to listen. Tonight, we'll dig into that more as we understand why it is important. And so I pray that you'd give me the words to speak, that they would be from you. I pray, as we mentioned this morning, that we need prepared hearts, that you would be preparing hearts that are left unprepared at this moment. That the ground would be tillable and prepared for the implanted word. And that we would leave here changed, not because of the charisma of the word spoken, but because of the power of the word that is your word. And so, Lord, we give you the glory and the honor for these things. We ask your blessing upon these moments that as we study, we would be faithful students, that we would give you the glory and the honor that is due you, and that we would obey what we learned tonight. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor for it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, This is a familiar passage, probably, and once we get into it, you're going to see the familiarity of it, but, uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. And so as we get into Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, we recognize that the writer of Hebrews is calling out something in the life of those that he's writing to, the specifically, likely a Jewish audience that he's writing to, and he's calling out something in their lives because he wants to explain more. He wants to go deeper, but he's unable to go deeper. Notice what he says in chapter 5, verse 11. As he begins, he says, About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Isn't that a fascinating statement? That you have become dull in your hearing. What is he talking about? This is what we must understand. They are missing their spiritual dexterity. They had spiritually been equipped to handle more than they are currently able to do. And we go back into verse 10 and uh, following, we begin to recognize all the way back uh, earlier as well that he is beginning an argument, the writer of Hebrews is beginning an argument on the superiority of the priesthood of Christ over the Arianic priesthood. Christ being of Melchizedek's priestly line and uh, Aaron 
being the line from which the Levites would come, and the Levitical line or the Arianic line of priests. This was the Old Testament law, the sacrificial system, and all that pertained to it. And the writer of Hebrews is saying to the Hebrews that he's writing to, listen carefully, we have a greater priesthood that we should be following, and that is of the line of Christ. That is what he is filling in the middle of the context. And right in the middle of that, he's saying that he wants to explain more. He wants to go deeper, but he's finding it difficult to do so. He's going to return to this theme that he's actually started in the end of chapter 4, and it's going to go all the way through to verse 10 of chapter 5. He's going to stop it and put a parenthesis. In essence, he's saying, here's the argument. I want you to understand the argument. We have a great high priest who is of the line of Melchizedek, who's greater than the line of the Arianic priesthood, but wait, I can't go any further. Because you should be able to handle this, but you can't. Isn't that annoying when somebody tells you, I'm going to give you some information, but you can't handle it? Anybody else annoyed by that? I'm annoyed by that. Uh, I immediately stand up and I go, what do you mean I can't handle it? But then, listen to what we studied this morning in James chapter 1. Be quick to hear slow to speak, and slow to anger. When the writer in Scripture says, I want to tell you more, but I can't, you can't handle it yet, let us not get frustrated and angry. Let us get humble and listen. And so, we want to understand what he's saying. He's going to return to this discussion of Melchizedek and the Arianic priesthood, but he provides a frightening problem, or at least he highlights a frightening problem. In verse 11, notice he says about this, this Melchizedek priesthood, about this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. There is slippage that has happened. There were those who spiritually could have handled this information not long ago and now no longer are able to handle it. That, as you ponder it, should be frightening. There is the opportunity for you to slip in your spiritual understanding. To become so fleshly that you are no longer capable of eating solid spiritual food. The specific problem is that his hearers had become dull of hearing. Notice what is not the problem. Let's read it again so that we can pick up what's not the problem. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The problem is not the message. The message is not too difficult. The message is not too complicated. The message is something that the author could communicate in writing, except his audience can't maintain it can't receive it because they have become dull of hearing those he was writing to were not able to comprehend the truth not because it was especially difficult but because they had earwax blocking their ability to hear they could not hear and it made it difficult then to explain these truths now this is one of the challenges of every good communicator is how can I put the cookies, as it were, on the shelf in which everybody can understand them. Spurgeon had one of the largest vocabularies of any human being on record. And he wrote a book called John Plowman's Talks. And in it, he explains deep theological truths from an agrarian society, from an agricultural world, from a less than educated world, and he explains deep theological truths in common vernacular, at least not for you and I, because we're not old English speakers, but in common vernacular of the day. And so a great speaker can take and make things out of the realm of understanding. You say, well, I need to have a dictionary to be able to hear you. That's not what the writer is saying. He could have easily gone and done the John Plowman talk where he could have gone down into the weeds and begun to explain it from an uneducated point of view and still get his point across. But what he's struggling with is that there is no capacity to hear. 
because they have lost the spiritual acuity, the dexterity to understand. This is the problem. They had become sluggish and had lost their spiritual dexterity. That's what he means when he says that they have become dull of hearing. And he identifies the problem for us. The writer cites a need to return to the basics of Christian principles. Notice verse 12. We're going to come back to here later, but verse 12 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. The writer says the problem is not that it's too complicated, but that you're not mature enough. You should be, but you're not. Boy, if there was a description of the modern church today in all the pages of Scripture, it may be this one, where we should be teachers, and we have all of the education, all of the capacities to be the teachers, all of Christianity within the church, but many like the suckling on the milk rather than the steak of spiritual things. The writer cites this need to return to the basics of Christian principles, those very foundational elements upon which life was built on, the spiritual life was built on. This is a frightening assessment that they had been Christians long enough that they should have been teachers, and yet they were still less than pupils. That's a frightening assessment. What if we were to do somewhat of that sober self-assessment in our own life? Honestly, could we handle the solid food of the Word of God? Or are we so mystical and philosophical? Are we so absorbed by the systems of the world and by those of other writers that we have determined that we know better than the pages of Scripture? Let us be found faithful in understanding where the authority is and believe there. This is a frightening statement that the problem was not that they had never received this knowledge. In fact, they had received it, but the problem was that they had to return to it. They had to come back to it. They shouldn't have to go back through and explain the same things that they would explained over and over and over and over again. This is a consequence of hearing, but not doing. Coming up on this Sunday evening series, as we continue with the foundation series, we're going to teach what it means to disciple. We have this idea that discipleship is the impartation of knowledge from one person to the other. And while that is indeed involved in discipleship, that is not by itself discipleship. Discipleship is certainly the passing of knowledge from one to the other. That had gone on in the life of those that are being written to in the book of Hebrews. That had gone on in many in the church today. But there's a missing component, or at least one, probably more than one, and that is that we need to use it. And we need the systems in place to use it. And so when we study discipleship, we're going to recognize that the impartation of knowledge is one element of discipleship. The next is serving together in some sort of an apprenticeship role. And then immersion, you're going to do it. You're going to step right in. And you're going to fill out those roles of what it means to do the task after having sat under as an understudy, the one who was preparing you and helping plan and help you navigate the currents of the Christian journey. And so all three components are necessary, and we see the failure of those three, at least the failure of the last two, in the lives of these Hebrews that were being written to in the book of Hebrews. We see it because they had the knowledge, but they never became doers. They never became doers of the Word of God. We started this series last Sunday morning by asking the question, what does the next generation need? What do they need? And in case you weren't here, I'll reiterate for you, on 2025, on January 1st of 2025, the very first time that eight generations will be alive together, when the first baby is born on January 1st of 2025, Generation Beta will have entered into society at that time. Eight generations spanning from the great generation and those who are left of the great generation all the way through generation alpha, which is now coming to an end, and the arising of generation beta. What does generation beta need from Byron Center Bible Church? What do they need from you?
What does Generation Alpha need currently? They are among us, and if you haven't noticed, we have a substantial number of Generation Alpha in our midst. What do they need from you? They need to understand how to listen to God's Word. And they need to grow. Understanding the difference between these two priesthoods was essential for those believers who were scattered and needed reminded to persevere in the things of Christ. Because what was attacking these who were scattered in persecution? They were blasted by the Judaizers who were trying to pull them back into the Jewish Old Testament systems. They were blasted by the Judaizers who said, you must practice these days for festivals, you must eat these foods, and you must continue in the sacrificial systems. They were blasted by a Judaizer's view of what it meant to follow the one true God. But they were also confronted with this, while at the same time they were dealing with the Christian world who was saying, wait, we are free from those. We do not have to practice those things. We do not have to observe those certain holidays. And we should not be sacrificing because we have the one true sacrifice. And so these two worldviews were at war in the life of every single Jewish follower of Jesus Christ who was scattered by persecution that the writer of Hebrews is writing to. Therefore, they should have known this difference. It should have been in every single conversation they had. When they had a conversation with a Judaizer, they should be able to delineate and distinguish between the Melchizedek priesthood and the Arianic priesthood. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, but you can't because you've become dull of hearing. The writer goes on to define some needed instructions and corrections for these believers And they serve as a great supplement to what we have learned this morning. And so let's continue on in verse 12 as we begin to recognize that these individuals had been spiritually stifled. They had spiritually ceased to grow. Verse 12 says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The writer of Hebrews says, you're a doll of hearing, but there is an answer. There is something you should do. And he gives to us several elements. First, they need to recognize that they have a stunted growth. They have a stunted growth. The first element that gets in the way is our pride. Because we say, well, I've been a Christian for a long time. What does this young guy have anything to teach me? Or I've been a Christian for a long time. I have reached the pinnacle of my Christian existence. Or I have been a Christian for a long time. And I've run that world and I've learned what I need to learn. I'm safe and so I'm going to do what I want to do. All three of those scenarios likely describe people in our fellowship. So they certainly described what was going on in the lives of those that the writer was writing to. The writer identifies where these believers ought to be in their Christian life. He said they should be teachers, and he said you should be eating solid food. But you're not. Instead, you're eating milk. Their growth had been stunted, and As we consider this for a moment, when they should have been teachers, when they should have been eating solid food, they're children, he says, and you're drinking milk. There is actually, these believers had actually evidently experienced a regression in their faith. Instead of progressing, moving to that next step, they had slidden backwards and were no longer capable of comprehending and understanding and living out the truth that they should have been able to comprehend, understand, and apply. Their growth had been stunted because their diet had never progressed from the milk of God's Word, and it continued to remain there. Isn't it fascinating how challenging it is to move a child to solid food? Have you experienced that, maybe with your own children or children uh, that you have been babysitting or watching and helping along the way? Uh, Try to remove a pacifier from a child that doesn't want you to remove the pacifier. I was watching one of those reels on Facebook today, and 
they had uh, taken the pacifier and dipped it in lime juice. I'm telling you, that works for about five seconds. It doesn't work anymore. With one of our children, we actually had to cut the end of the pacifier off so that it no longer had the value, the same feel, before they would eventually break the habit of the pacifier. The writer of Hebrews is saying, believer, throw the pacifier away. I actually did that with one of my children. I took it. Uh, they had kept the pacifier for so long. I took the pacifier. I was frustrated with it. I walked over to the trash can in their presence while they were watching. I opened the trash can and I threw it away and I closed the lid. And they accepted it. <laughs> that was it. That's all it took. But it's one of those things. Now, my other children didn't. They, there was only one child that would do that. The other children would say, <laughs> yeah, right, Dad. I'm going back in after that thing. <laughs> but when we, when we see the, the process of this, we recognize how hard it is to move past this. And we're speaking of these matters in the illustration of physical growth. Now, can you imagine in the spiritual growth how difficult it is to move from milk, which is easy to digest, to solid food, which is harder to digest. You actually have to think about it now. Faith is not something that you just simply come and you're nourished and you go away. Faith is something that you come in, you eat a solid meal, and then you have to digest it. You have to spend time working it apart and breaking it down so that it becomes not only useful for your spiritual growth, but edifying to others. That is a difficult task. And that is where the writer is writing to these believers who had failed to do this. Their growth had been stunted because their diet had not progressed from milk to steak. They needed a more mature diet of theology, but they had never grown up. Becoming an adult is difficult. and We even have a term for it today, adulting. It's difficult to adult today. We've turned it from uh, a noun into a verb and an adverb. Uh, it's, a, it's an action now. Wait, i got to do that now. It's, it's difficult to do that, but spiritually speaking, there is great necessity to do so. And the writer defines why. It is not that the audience is ignorant of God's standards. They knew them at one time, but they had failed to put them into practice, and their growth had been stunted. But here's the reason why. They needed discernment. They needed discernment. Recently I was asked one of the greatest needs of the church today, the church at large today. I believe the greatest need that the church has today, there's a number of them that reach to the top, top four or five things. But I think the greatest need that the church has today is discernment. We need to learn discernment. Verses 13 and 14, the scripture says this, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, and for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The believer needs to feast on the solid food of good theology because it requires skill to master. It requires skill to practice. There is a significant statement of a believer's development that we will explore more in the evenings to come in this series. We're going to dig deeper into it. However, it should also be considered that their situation, a situation where they had not grown up to solid food, had left these believers less fruitful. They were not as fruitful as they needed to be. And it had also impacted their faithfulness, or rather their lack thereof. They weren't able to understand the deeper theological truths, not because they didn't have the capacity, or not because there wasn't capacity, even in the finite understanding, to do so, but because they had not grown up, and they weren't ready for an adult conversation yet. They should have been, they could have been, but they were not. It is difficult to handle some of these truths. And, and isn't it like us, you especially uh, we see it in young men reaching close to their 20s, the upper teen years, where suddenly they think they have everything together. There's actually a part of their brain that's missing, in case you didn't know that. 
uh, there is a part of their brain missing, and it's the part right up front that keeps them safe. (laughs) It's the part that says, uh, that's not very bright. Don't do that. It's going to hurt. That part's not fully developed yet in a young man who's in his his later teen years. And so he thinks he can uh, jump in front of a moving vehicle. That's really, literally, kind of what goes on in his brain is he's thinking, I am invincible. That's why we send 18 to 20-year-olds off to war. That's why that age group is the age group that gets chosen. Because there is something in a young man who says, I am bulletproof. And they think they are. But they're also, in the spiritual realm, there's also this idea that develops at that age where, especially in the spiritual development of that age, where a young individual, and young in the faith, says, I have it all together and I know all the answers. I've got it all. And it will be through the constant practice of regularly digging into the Word of God, regularly feasting on the Word of God, that they begin to go, oh, I don't know as much as I think I know. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says. Notice at the end of verse 14, he says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Their powers of discernment have to be active. They have to be usable. And they have to be functioning. The believer's development is necessary for them to faithfully practice discernment. For us to faithfully practice discernment, that means we have to be consistent at it. This is why we come to the first part of the year and and maybe your uh, resolution, if you do that kind of thing, is I'm going to work out, I'm going to get a little bit healthier. And maybe that lasts. Maybe you get a gym membership and that lasts for a period of time. And pretty soon, it's just not quite as consistent as it once was. And you begin to notice yourself kind of slipping a little bit more. And now it's getting harder to go to the gym. And it's getting harder to, to work out. And, and pretty soon you just kind of forget to do it. Well, at the end of the year, if that has been the habit, you probably won't notice much difference between January 1st of one year and December 31st of the same. There's not a lot of difference. And that's true in the spiritual well-being as well, in your spiritual life as well. The believer is to be trained by constant practice to discern good from evil. And the only way that we can do that is by the hard work of consistency and faithfulness. The roots of this series that we're in the middle of right now reach back several months ago when I was wrestling with the lack of discernment in the Christian world, that question that came up. How do we practice discernment in the church? And so this series was kind of born out of that as I began to wrestle with that several months ago. The Christian's growth comes from the faithful, consistent practice of good theology. And so we teach good theology. But we have to also teach the faithful practice thereof. Because the information can pass through one ear and out the other ear, as we understood this morning, 75% of adults will not remember a 10-minute conversation 48 hours later. So we need something else. It's fascinating to me that the Lord would use preaching as his main method of communicating his word when 75% of adults will not retain it if they don't work at it. And I think we just stumbled onto the secret. We must work at it. We must be consistent. We must be diligent and dedicated. The word for powers in this verse in verse 14 the powers of discernment the word for powers of discernment refers to their spiritual capacities the implication is that those powers or some translations may say senses have been properly exercised we reach higher levels of maturity by virtue of exercising our power for discernment you're not going to start out doing the heavy lifting You're going to start out with more simple things, and you're going to work to the heavy lifting. And some of that's going to be by trial and error. You're going to have questions that you can't answer, and that's going to drive you into the Word of God all the more. And you're going to have uh, people come up with conversations that you, you don't really know how to address, and that's going to drive you into the Word even more. And we certainly have those in our world today. Are you capable 
of engaging with a member of the LGBTQ plus community for the sake of the gospel? Or does that terrify you? That should be a reason for working out. That should be a reason for discernment. You have a child or grandchild come home and they have brought with them all kinds of philosophy and worldly traditions. Can you engage with them? Can you tell them what the Word of God says with conviction and with determination? That's what the next generation needs, is somebody who can point out good from evil. Because evil masquerades as good, in case you haven't noticed today. And it takes someone with discernment to dig through that. And someone willing to do the hard things that offend others who are not as discerning. And trust me, that is a painful process. This exercise is skilled. The exercise to practice discernment is skilled by the use of the word of righteousness. And you have it in your hands. Become accustomed with what it takes to work out. Become accustomed with what it means to grow. This is what it takes. This is what we exercise with. Those who are properly trained see the childishness and the lack of spiritual maturity as spiritually disastrous. Because it is spiritually disastrous. If you are comfortable seeing the waves toss others back and forth and you say, oh, they'll get it together at the end of the day. That is a childish discernment. We must be those who are discerning so that we are not tossed to and fro by the winds. And so the writer of Hebrews has pointed out a problem. He says, you're dull of hearing. Why are you dull of hearing? He's provided the solution or at least the answer to the reason why they're dull. The solution is you need to eat real spiritual meals. How do you do that? Exercise. Exercise. Faithfully work out discernment. Faithfully hear the word of God and live it out. And that's where we go back to James. Let's go back to James as we'll conclude our time together this evening in the book of James. James chapter 1. This is where we were this morning and we continue to pick up here. And finish out what we started but didn't have time this morning to do. We are hearers, we have to be hearers and doers of the word. How do we exercise? How do we listen well? We are hearers and doers. Notice verse 24. This is where we left off this morning, Hebrews 1, 24. The scripture says, For he looks at himself and goes away. This is as he's looked into the mirror. And he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. There is going to be progress to maturity. It's not an overnight thing. You don't just go online and get a degree in advanced Christianity. <laughs> I mean, you probably could, but it's worthless. So uh, there's no value to it. Uh, you say, well, yeah, I, I went online. I got a degree in advanced Christianity. Well, it's not worth the paper it's written on or the email that it's written in, I guess. There is a process to maturity. There's a progress that needs to be happening in the life of the believer. And we have to recognize, as James takes us back to this instruction, that there is more than just looking in the mirror and walking away. Look at verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that is uh, the scriptures, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Isn't that quite opposite of what the writer of Hebrews was just telling us? You can have spiritual disaster in childish faith, childlike actions and faith. We're supposed to have the faith like a child, but we're not to be childish. Those things are different. There are those in the church who are childish. Maybe they have great understanding, have tremendous knowledge, but they've never worked it out. They never lived it out. They have absolutely no discernment. And so, like a child who goes from one toy to another, their faith behaves in the same manner because they refuse to hear and do. They may have sat in thousands of sermons, 
They may listen to thousands of podcasters. They may listen to all kinds of great theological discourse, but they are those who have no discernment. They can't tell evil from good and good from evil. James says that those who have employed maturity, those who have employed hearing and doing, will be those who look into the mirror and take corrective action. They're going to be those who, when they look into the mirror, will grab the comb and comb the rat's nest that they call hair. (laughs) They're going to be those who pick up whatever it is necessary to help the blemishes. They're going to be those who begin to notice, wait, I I think I have a, a cancerous spot I need to take care of. They're going to be those who are diligent in observing what they see in the mirror and take corrective action as it's being brought to their view. That's what Scripture does. It brings it to view. Having employed the skills necessary to hear and do, the faithful hearer, who is also a doer, increases in their maturity and their spiritual capacities. They are humble when the Word of God turns the light on. I remember when I was a kid, my grandparents had a, in their, rest, in their bathroom, they had a, one of those medicine cabinets that had the three mirrors, you know, the two side, and you open up the side and they had lights on them. I was fascinated with that as a kid because my parents didn't have that. We had this one little medicine cabinet and you turn on the overhead light and you see yourself in the mirror and it was kind of dimly lit there. But my grandparents, wow, I look different in that mirror. <laughs> And maybe you've seen those, you're like, man, I walked out of the house, I thought I was looking good, I turned on that, I'm, I'm going back home. <laughs> uh, that there are those times where Scripture is going to illuminate the issue. It's going to convict, and you have the choice of being angry or taking action. You can be angry and say, how dare you, mirror, point out my flaws. And that's the individual who has looked into the mirror and they forget what they have seen. It's not that they're ignorant of what's in the mirror. It's that they've chosen not to do anything about it. That is the hearer who is not a doer. They've seen themselves. Scripture has illuminated it. Scripture has revealed their flaws and their spiritual well-being. And instead of listening, they were speaking over it. And instead of listening, they got angry by the conviction. How dare you, mirror, tell me I look like this. And when they walk away, it's not silliness. When they walk away, it's willful rejection of the truth. They could do something about it, but they don't. That is not maturity. The one who looks into the mirror, who looks diligently, and it's interesting that James has changed it for us. He's helped us because he's not speaking in some way that we can't understand. He's using the mirror as a a word picture for us. And he shifts it. And when he shifts it, he says this, But if anyone who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You want the opposite of childishness. You will allow the Scriptures to illuminate and to correct. And that means you will listen well to the message. You will come prepared to listen. And you will also be one who is slow to speak and slow to anger so that you allow the illumination of Scripture to reveal what's going on in your spiritual life. And having employed that skill, you'll increase in your maturity. But notice the hearing is in the present. The hearing is in the present. Look at it again, verse 25. He says, but the one who looks, that is an action that has taken place in the past and has continuing effects, into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, that is an action that has taken place in the past and continues to have its effects, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, that is the same tense, he will be blessed in his doing. It is not enough for you, in case you haven't noticed this, which you all have, I can tell by looking at you all. 
It's not enough to look into the mirror on Monday and not look again until Sunday. You don't do that unless you're totally on vacation. I'll do that on vacation. Like, I'm not even looking. I'm going to cut my hair short so I don't have to worry about it. And uh, I may not look in the mirror for three days. But typically speaking, generally speaking, you're not going to look in the mirror on one day and then walk away from the mirror and not look into the mirror again. You're going to look. And that, that looking is in the present tense. You kind of know what you look like now. And you've studied that. This is the hearing in the present. James points to the one who perseveres. The word persevere means to continue on, and it's past tense with present results. On this point, James and Hebrews, both books, remind us of the necessity of continued pressing on. It's not enough for you to fill up your plate on Sunday and then allow that meal to stretch until next Sunday. There has to be, there has to be more along the way. A believer's ability to hear well in the present is impacted by their obedience of what they have learned in the past. So your present actions are built on what you've done in the past. Have you been faithful in the past? If you've been faithful in the past, you will continue to grow in your spiritual maturity. And things that used to bother you yesterday will not bother you today. And things that didn't bother you yesterday will bother you today. You will remove childish things. You will not be tossed to and fro by the winds and the waves. You will remain consistent and faithful. You will reject consumerism and commercialism in the church. You will dig deeply into the things of Scripture, and you will let the things that Scripture is concerned with matter to you. And you will discern good from evils. Failing to act in obedience is what makes us spiritually sluggish. That's what had happened to, the, to those that the writer of Hebrews was writing to. And it leads to regression. And James agrees. James points to this. James is highlighting that we must be those who persist, who persevere in doing what we ought to do, in obeying what we've heard. We must be those who often turn back to the mirror. And when the word confronts or convicts, we do something about what we see. We let the scriptures illuminate our spiritual condition. And you are not alone in doing that work. That's the Spirit's work in your life as well. That's the process of sanctification and it's a process of growing to maturity. So all of that at work, the Spirit of God convicting you of sin through the pages of Scripture, and as He convicts of sin, He is drawing you in to the process of sanctification, causing you to grow more and more and more, and you will not grow up enough in this life to say, I have arrived. You will continue to grow. And then, oddly enough, and I do find it odd as we look into this, hearers who are doers are blessed. There's a blessing to this. There's a blessing when you are a hearer who is a doer. There's a blessing to growing up in Christian circles or in Christian walk. Quite the opposite of the man who looks in the mirror and walks away. The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, his obedience will result in blessedness. The reason for blessedness is fourfold. First, he looks intently into God's truth. The idea of looking intently into God's truth denotes a penetrating absorption of it. To look deeply into God's word does not mean that you are one who says, well, for the 45th time I have read through every chapter, every verse of the Bible this year. You may have done that, and amen if you have done that, but that does not qualify as deep penetration. It is not deep penetration to simply memorize a verse and say, wow, I have memorized thousands of sections. In fact, the first time that I taught this passage, I was speaking to an IFCA quiz meet, and they had memorized entire books. And I was speaking to them on this point because they were hearers of the word, but they also needed to be doers of the word. And the hearer who is the doer is going to hear the Word of God and they're going to penetrate. They're going to 
absorb the Word of God. This is the word that was used, this idea of looking intently. This is the word that was used when John ran to the tomb of Jesus and he looked inside. That's the same word. Do you think he was expecting, looking with some sort of expectation? We, don't, I, he, we know that he's expecting it to be empty, but he's not quite there yet. He's not fully convinced. So when John runs to the tomb, do you think he was just haphazard? Nope, he's not there. I think when John ran to the tomb, he looked inside of the tomb and he scoured every inch of the tomb. How do I know that? Because he actually records what he saw. And he records it in detail. And what he did not see. That's that same word that we're penetrating and we're seeking to absorb. Here in James chapter 1, verse 25, it is, it is though a person stoops over the Scriptures and they zealously search for its message. They're not trying to bring their message into it. They're saying Scripture, or they're saying to the Lord, reveal yourself in your word to me. Not let me reveal myself in your word by my theology. Letting the word speak. The second reason, that's the first. The second reason why this man is blessed is that he continues to do this, the text says. He continues to do this. He is a blessed man. Rather, he is the blessed man of Psalm 1 who meditates on God's law day and night. Psalm 1 would be a great place to start practicing this. A righteous man who meditates upon the law of God day and night learns to love the Lord, learns to hate sin, learns to allow himself to be exposed to the things of the Word of God so that they may grow spiritually. The third reason for this blessedness is that he does not forget what he has heard. You become the 25% instead of the 75%. One of the great challenges, and I'm inundated each week, and it's a challenge because I'm a type A personality. I like to get things done. I like to move from one thing to the next. And because of that, sometimes it's, it's easy for me to get distracted. I like to analyze too long, and so I hang out there a little too long, and I've got to figure out the next line really quick. So one of the challenges that I have is that it's easy for me to bounce from one place to the next. And one of the things I keep seeing, evidently a lot of pastors struggle with this, because you have all these ministries out there to help pastors focus. In fact, there's even a website called The Focused Pastor. <laughs> uh, it's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to be moved from one place to the next. But the servant of the Lord, who is faithful in looking into the mirror, who's penetrating deeply, looking intently into the Word of God and allows what they hear from the Word of God to permeate and to illuminate their hearts and their lives, they are blessed because they do not forget what is heard. And so they can be faithful hearers who are also doers. Finally, and the most important reason, is that he takes what he's heard, he does not forget, and he becomes a doer. He becomes a doer. It is not enough for us just to simply say, I sat into a message and I listened. If you have to listen, some practical steps, some practical guidelines, if you have to listen to the message over and over and over and over again, I pray that you would do so. That's why we continue, even after the effects of COVID are over, at least temporarily maybe, but the effects of COVID are no longer the way that they were, we continue to stream online. And you can go back to those messages and you can find them on our website and you can go back and listen over and over and over again. You can spend time in the Word of God. You have the Word of God in your hands on whatever devices that you use. You have it in the technologies that are at your disposal. Look intently into these things. Be faithful Bereans. Listen with intentionality. When you come in, prepare your hearts or have prepared your hearts. And when you go out, be doers of the Word. Who are faithful to put into practice what you have heard from the Word of God. Not because of some pithy or charismatic leader has told you. But because it is God's Word. And because God's word is authoritative, 
And it is all that is necessary for the man of God to be thoroughly equipped for every good work by which God will judge you on on the last days. If you want to be one who is blessed, you will be one who diligently looks into the mirror, who allows the perfect law of God to change your heart and your life to follow after Him, and you will be a faithful doer, capable of discerning between good and evil. Not needing a pastor to tell you what's good and evil. Not needing someone else to say, oh, what are you doing over here? Don't you know this group does this? Instead, you will cut through the commercial, you will cut through the consumer, and you will cut to the quick to understand the truth of God's Word. And upon doing so, when you arrive on heaven's shore, the words, well done, good and faithful servant, will be spoken about you because you were a faithful hearer who was a doer also. Let's close tonight in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have not sought to deceive us. You've not tried to gather to yourself as many of humanity as possible simply to pad the corridors of heaven. But instead, you, out of your great love for us, would send Christ to die in our place on our behalf, a death that we deserved. So, Lord, we recognize that what we have heard both last week and this week has focused primarily on the life of the believer. But we do not want to neglect tonight that perhaps there are those in our midst or in our hearing that do not yet know you as Savior. So we pray that if that is the case, that you would convict them of their need of Christ, convict them of their need to see their sins forgiven, that they would confess those things before you and accept Christ as their Savior, not trying to work their way ceasing in their work from trying to work their way to heaven and instead trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. But then when we do come to know you as Savior, and for the rest of us who have been followers for whether it be just days or weeks or months or years, we recognize that we have this constant need to look into the mirror, to grow, to be exercising our prowess in discernment. So easy as we see time shift so quickly, so fast, in fact, that for the first time since the foundations or the founding of the church, we have eight generations alive at the same time. We recognize that those generations come because of shifts that have taken place in our culture, and so with the increased number of those who are generations, differences in generations, we recognize that time has moved rapidly through these shifts. And so therefore, while our extended life is not that much greater than it was a few years ago, we recognize that each generation comes with a different thought because of the way that they grew up. So Lord, we want to be those who understand these shifts and are constantly ready to answer the needs of the next generation, to point them to your word, to teach them, to observe all that Christ has commanded us. And lo, we praise you, Lord, that you will one day come for your church. We pray that it's tonight. But if you should tarry, we pray that we will be a church family, a fellowship devoted to discipleship and to training, a church family that's devoted personally to the advancement of our own spiritual well-being. We understand that that's aided and directed by the Spirit of God, but we understand we play a significant role, and we must be those who move from milk to solid food. Lord, we want to be those who eat the steak of the Word of God. We want to be able to digest it. We want to be able to correct where we need to be corrected. And we want to be those who are humble, with great humility, allowing the Word of God to illuminate those areas that need to be brought to repentance or brought to correction, that we would be found faithful in your service. Lord, this is an age in which we see so many that have lost discernment. We've allowed heretics to slip into the church and barely even given them a look. Pray that we would be now corrective of that, that we'd be those faithful and obedient to you, 
that your name would be exalted in our midst and that we would be found faithful in reaching the lost and dying for the gospel of Jesus Christ and training them to observe what Christ has commanded us until the last breath that we breathe. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor for what we have studied. We pray that we would be faithful hearers who are doers as well and that that would be evident even by tomorrow morning in our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all of these things. And it's in the name of Christ that we do pray them. Amen.